Okay, now we're going to do something kind of unique this morning, and we, we had a sheet of paper we were passing out. I want to make sure everybody got one because I'm actually going to ask you to do something. We're going to actually do more than one thing with that sheet of paper. So did everybody get that when they came in? If there's anybody who didn't, um, would you raise your hand? We want to get one to you and maybe a pen so that you can um, write along. So keep your hands up, and we're going to have some people bring the sheets. Um, and if you need a pen, let them know that also to you so that you can... Uh, so that you can follow along. What I'm going to be doing this morning, um, I really do believe that part of my job here at 12, part of what I'm called to do, uh, actually a major, a lot of what I'm called to do is to be an equipper, to equip people for works of service and, and for ministry and all of that. And so this morning, occasionally on a Sunday morning, I'm actually trying to do some equipping things and I'm going to try that this morning. This is something I want to do is I just want to intentionally equip you with something. And specifically, I want to equip you with a Bible study method that I learned a long time ago that I use occasionally. I don't use it all the time because I've got several that I use. But it's a way to help you just dig in a little more into Scripture rather than just reading through kind of quickly a paragraph. It's a way that, that helps you just observe and notice some things. Um, the method I'm going to show you, and it's actually on that sheet of paper, is what's called um, the SPEC method the spec method, and what it is, and we're going to actually do this together in a second, so I really, you guys be ready, I need your participation, so be ready to say some things. Um, but what you do is, as you read through a passage, you're looking for these five things. The first thing you're looking for is a sin that's to be avoided, confessed, or forsaken. Maybe it's a sin, like I don't do it, but I need to stay away from that, or wow, I'm doing that, I need to confess that and forgive it, for, and I see God's forgiveness for that and forsake it. Um, and so that's one thing as we go through it. We're actually going to practice this in a minute. The P is, is as I read through a text, I'm asking the question, are there any promises of God in here that I can claim and lay a hold of? And I can, you know, today I can claim or they may come in helpful in the future. And then the third thing is, is as you read through a text, you're looking for an example to be followed or to not be followed. It could be a bad example or a good example, but you're asking the question, is there an example in here of somebody that I can follow? And then you're looking for a command to be obeyed. So let me go back to the sin one briefly. The sin is like something I shouldn't do. This one, and this one I'm looking for a command of something that I should do. Something that God's telling me I need to do. And then the K is, is I'm asking the question, what's some knowledge? What are some things I can learn from this about God, about Jesus, about myself, or about the world? Um, and so in a minute, we're actually going to practice this. If you're at home, we emailed this same sheet out to you Wednesday uh, so if you wanted to, you could print it off. If you haven't, grab a sheet of paper, grab a pencil, grab a New Testament or a Bible, and we're actually going to go through a text and do that. So we're going to be in James. We've been in James this, um, as our reading this week. <coughs> Excuse me. So I would like us to read the text that we're actually going to do this spec method. So would you stand with me? And I would like you to read with me as we do James chapter 5, verses 7-11. I need to get a drink of water before we start reading. And this translation is the New Century Version, which is what we're using in the New Testament that we're reading. So, would you read with me? Brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord comes again. A farmer patiently waits for his valuable crop to grow from the earth and for it to receive the autumn and spring rains. You too must be patient. Do not give up hope because the Lord is coming soon. Brothers and sisters, do not complain against each other, or you will be judged guilty. 
and the judge is ready to come. Brothers and sisters, follow the example of the prophets who spoke for the Lord. They suffered many hard things, but they were patient. We say they are happy because they did not give up. You have heard about Job's patience, and you know the Lord's purpose for him in the end. You know the Lord is full of mercy and is kind. This is the word of the Lord. So you may be seated. So here's what I want to do. I want you to help me with this passage to work through the spec together. And I really encourage you, just as a way, I mean, to get used to it, is there's lines in there. I'd like you to write the things down that we find as a group. Um, so let's start with the yes. When we read this text, or when you look at it, is there any sin in here that I should avoid, confess, forsake? Any sin that you see that I should stay away from? Somebody shout out something. Okay, do not complain. Um, specifically, do not complain against each other, or you'll be judged guilty. So do not complain is something that I would write down in that, on one of those lines. Any other commands of a do not kind of thing? Yeah, do not give up hope. Um, and that is down in verse, where's do not give up hope? Um, I just pulled out my one with the numbers in it. Verse 11. Or eight. Yeah, you too. Do not give up hope. So do not give up hope. Do not complain against each other. Do not give up hope. How about, and you, you got them. Those are the two. Any promises in here? Any promises you see? Yes, the Lord is coming, and not just coming. He is coming soon, okay? Now, when I read that, I don't always get it because this was written 2,000 years ago, and I'm like, if he, they were saying it was soon then, and it's 2,000 years later, but the thing I do is, I number one, I trust that in God's timing, it is soon to him, though it may not appear soon to me. The other thing I know is it could be tomorrow, right? It really can be soon to me. I just don't know. So I need to live as if it is soon. But the promise is, is that the Lord is coming again. He is coming again and soon. How about an example? Any examples? You guys are doing great, by the way. Any examples to follow that you see in this text? Okay, the prophets in verse... Um, what, 10? Yeah, he said that uh, follow the example of the prophets who spoke for the Lord. They suffered many hard things, but they were patient. We just read about that in Hebrews 11, all the things that they suffered. So I'd write down on that, uh, by, by the, the example, write down the prophets. They're an example to me. Any other people we should follow as an example in this text? What's that? Farmers. We should, farm, we should follow the example of par farmers. And what, 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 they, what are they, Julie, an example of? Yeah, yeah. I've grown up in an agricultural area. I never have actually done agriculture, but from those who do it, great patience is required. Great patience is required. Anybody else an example in this text? Yeah, Job. Job is mentioned um, down in verse, what, 11 probably. You've heard about Job's patience, and you know the Lord's purpose for him in the end. If you don't know the story, it's in the Old Testament just before the book of Psalms is the story of Job. How God allowed some difficulty in his life, but at the end, God had, had a purpose for him. So, man, you guys are hitting out of the ballpark. How about a command to obey? Are there any commands, any things I'm told to do in this text um, by the Lord? Yeah, be patient until the Lord comes. Be patient till he comes. Um, one other one I might add in here, it's a little iffy, but that do not give up, it is like a do not. 
but sometimes when you say do not, you're actually encouraging somebody, right? Hey, don't, don't give up hope, right? It's kind of, so it could, it could be both and. Um, I'm, I would probably put it in there. I would put, be patient till the Lord comes. Do not give up hope. And then always you're wanting out of the text, like, is there anything I can learn about God, about the world, about Jesus, about myself from this? Um, what are some things that you just observe? Let me say a quick story about observation. What, really, what, what this is doing, this exercise, is it's just forcing you to observe things in a text to look a little deeply than you would if you were reading it in a cursory fashion. Um, yesterday, actually, Pat and I took Carissa and Karen uh, late Friday night back up to the airport. They flew out really early Saturday. So we drove them up there. I didn't know flights left like 4 a.m., that kind of thing. Uh, that's crazy. Um, anyway, so we took them up there. We did a few things in Kansas City. We went to Topeka to pick up something for somebody, and we hit Topeka about lunchtime. I was really hungry, and I hadn't had a good burger in a long time. And I know Jordan last week said, what a burger? It's like the top, right? Superior to In-N-Out, which may be true, but I just want you to know Five Guys Burger it ranks higher than, is superior to all of them. You know, if... If the author of Hebrews is writing about burgers, the, the Five Guys burger would be superior. So we went to Five Guys and ate. And then we came home, went and saw Ariel and Josue, our son-in-law, and, and Nellie. And they needed a couple of batteries for a Christmas ornament. And so he and I ran over to Walgreens, and we got out of the car. And then he goes, you were at Five Guys today, weren't you? And I'm like, that is amazing. I just, we'd just seen a Sherlock a couple of days before, too. And I'm like, you have amazing observational skills. Like, okay, how'd you know? And it was the, the cup of peanuts that Pat had sat in the passenger seat. He saw that and knew that was for five guys. And then I said, do, do I have like a ketchup stain somewhere? Do I have a french fry hanging out of my pocket or something? Anyways, all of that is about this helps to cultivate keen observation skills, okay? So tell me, what are some things you learn from this, just knowledge about God or Jesus or anything about us? What would you say? Shout a few out. Yeah, he, God is merciful in the very last verse, in verse 11. God is merciful. What else? He's what? Faithful? Yeah, he is, so he is coming soon. Um, and specifically, it's, it seems pretty clear to Jesus. So Jesus is coming again, we're told, but he's also coming soon. Yeah, see, the Lord comes again up in verse 7, and then he's coming soon. So that shows his faithfulness. What else do you, I thought, Joanne, you, I thought you say one. God is not only merciful, but kind, okay? God is kind, I would write that down. So God is coming again, he's coming soon, he's full of mercy, he is kind. Um, what else do you see? Yeah, the, the judge is ready to come. So what you learn from that is, is that Jesus, when he comes, he will be the judge. So there is a judge, and there will be a judgment. So that's another one. Good job. I found one other. There may be a, be a few others. I thought the whole thing with Job where it says that you've heard about Job's patience, and you know the Lord's purpose for him in the end. And what I wrote down from that is God has a purpose for me, that he has a purpose for all of us. So that's something I learned from this text. So good job. So here's what I really want to challenge you. Um, as you do learn and over the years do Bible reading that, occasionally like take the book of Ephesians or Colossians or something and just do a, maybe even you're like doing regular Bible reading, but then one day a week, you're like, I just want to dig in a little more. This spec method is really good. You just take a paragraph out of Ephesians and you just do this and maybe get a little journal. Um, so that's something I've been wanting to, to share and teach with you guys for a while. And back actually in January when I was looking at the calendar, I knew I wanted to do it. Um, 
today because anytime I teach the spec method, I use this passage out of James 5, 7, 11 because it has all of the elements inside of it. And so I wanted to use it. And so now what I want to do is I want to transition specifically from teaching you that. So I want to talk about one thing in this text. The first time I did spec with this text, which was a long time ago, um, that command to not complain against your brother and sister really stood out to me. And not so much against your brother and sister, but what stood out to me is don't complain. And I realized that it's so easy to have a complaining spirit. And that's the thing that really grabbed me many, many years ago. And so that's something I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about a complaining spirit. And it really fits. Thanksgiving, that's, that's why part of the reason I did all of this. It's just after Thanksgiving, we've been giving thanks. So what better Sunday to talk about having a complaining spirit? Um, all right. Have you heard? I don't know. There's two kinds of people in the world. There's those that are optimists that see everything through a rose-colored glasses, right? The glass is always half full. They're kind of the unicorns in our midst. So there's the optimists. And then the other kind of people in the world are the people who hate optimists, right? <laughs> and, and, and those of us who don't have the rose-colored glasses, who see the cup half empty, part of the reason we don't like optimists is because of the fact that we're actually jealous because they won the genetic lottery and got this positive temperament that we didn't get and we're just actually very jealous of them and we wish we could be like them. Um, somebody said there's two kinds of people in the world. Uh, people who praise God for putting rose, uh, roses on thorn bushes and people who complain at God for putting thorns on rose bushes. Two different ways of looking at the world. And when you talk about a complaining spirit, there's a really crucial text to me that's found in Jude, verse 16. There's only one chapter in Jude, so verse 16. And he's speaking of false prophets, but I still think one of the things he says about them just strikes me as very powerful. In Jude 16, he says, these people are grumblers and fault finders. The New Living Translation calls them complainers. The ESV, this is a strong word, they're malcontents. The Christian Standard Bible, these men are discontented grumblers. The Amplified Bible, these people are habitual murmurs, griping and complaining. And then the message, these are the complainers, the bellyachers. Eugene Peterson always gets right to the heart of the matter, right? The bellyachers. And so to start, I have a question. I had a question and I have a question for myself. I have a question for all of us. When God looks into your heart, into your attitude, does he see that? That's my question. When he looks into your heart, into your attitude, kind of the habitual way of how you interact with the world, does he see that? A grumbling, complaining, fault-finding, murmuring, griping, belly-aching spirit. I want you to just for a minute prayerfully marinate on that. Before the Lord, ask him that question. Do you see this in me when you look at me? For the optimists here, they're saying, I've been waiting for Garen to ask a question like that for a long time. And for the pessimists, it's like, Garen, always ask stupid questions like that. What's going on? So, but here, in all honesty, in all honesty, are you a person who struggles with a complaining spirit? That your bent is towards negativity, that you see the wrong in everything, that the glass for you always is half empty, 
that you don't even have to try to see things with the complaining negative spirit. It just flows out of you. You don't even have to work at it. Um, the question is, are you a person who struggles with complaining spirit? Um, that's something I've been reflecting on, and I think as a follower of Jesus, that's what this text calls me to, because we're told not to complain. And the truth is, we all complain about some things. It's part of our fallen, our fallen world. It's part of our sinful condition. Even optimists can complain and gripe about things at times. Um, even those that have pixie dust all over their life sometimes complain, right? Um, but I want to show you a few quotes that's for all of us, but especially for those of us that struggle with the complaining spirit. Benjamin Franklin said this. I love this. Any fool can condemn, criticize, and complain, and most do. That's good. You got to read it like twice to really get it, but that's good. Gary Smalley, this is a very profound thing. Complaining is anger trying to get out of a shrinking soul. Complaining is anger trying to get out of a shrinking soul. And Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, said, it is not so much the greatness of our troubles as the littleness of our spirit which makes us complain. Ouch. It's not so much the greatness of the troubles as the littleness of our spirit. So let me talk for just a minute about a complaining spirit. Um, as I thought about it Tuesday, I kind of came up with a definition of what it is. Um, to me, complaining is thinking or talking bad about someone or something. So it's thinking or talking bad about someone or something. God has either intentionally brought into my life, and in a minute I'm going to sh share with you, like to bless me, he's intentionally brought into my life as a gift, okay? Or he has sovereignly allowed in my life, and that word allowed to me is really important, something he's sovereignly allowed into my life. But in either case, whether, whether it's either one of these, in either case, it is a gift from him, whether intentionally brought or sovereignly allowed. Let me explain. If it's a difficulty, if it's something he's sovereignly allowed into my life, um, he did it because he knew that through that, by allowing that in my life, he could grow me to becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what Paul means in Romans 8.28 when he says that God causes all things to work for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That he will allow something into my life that's, that's hard and that's a struggle, but it's not irredeemable. He can redeem that thing, and he will actually use that thing. He will cause it to work for my good, to make me more like Jesus. Or as we read in James, this last, I think the beginning of last week, in James 1, 2 to 4, he says, My brothers and sisters, when you have many kinds of troubles, you should be full of joy. Be full of joy of those things God allows in your life, because you know that these troubles, they test your faith, and this will give you patience. Let your patience show itself perfectly in what you do then you will be perfect and complete and you'll have everything that you need. So sometimes God allows something into my life, but when he does, it is always a gift. There is something that he wants to give me through that. And then there are things that he brings into my life, something he intentionally gives me to bless me. Maybe it's a job he gave me to meet my needs or my family needs. Maybe it's a marriage partner. Maybe it's some, a child. It's a parent. Whatever it is, it is something that he has given to us as a gift to bless us. And when we complain about it, we're actually looking like down our noses at a good gift from God and we're bellyaching about something that he gave us for a good purpose, but all we're doing is complaining about it. If any of you are parents or have been parents for a while, probably parents for a while, you've experienced that 
having given a good gift and it's complained about, and you know what it feels like to have that happen. Can you imagine the God of the universe who is all good multiple times every day from billions of people he hears complaints about good gifts that he gave them. Can you imagine what that would feel like? And so to all of us, Paul in Philippians 2, 4 says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing. The NLT, without complaining. I like the sound of the King James, do all things without murmurings and disputing. How many things are we to do without complaining, does Paul say? How many? 50%, half? Does he say two out of three or three out of four, 90%, 95? No, what's he say? How many things? All things, everything we are to do without complaining. So to me, the next question is, is what's the antidote to complaining? What is the antidote? And a long time ago, I learned a really important principle that had a very profound effect on my life. Um, that for a long time, if there was a vice in my life, complaining or anything, I would always do like a frontal assault on it, and I would work really hard to stop a thing. Like I'd see, oh, do not complain. All right, I'm going to work really hard on that this week. And what I found is the harder I worked on it, that actually that thing actually eventually got stronger in my life because it's, it's a whole thing. I talked one time about growing. That's, growing is not about trying. It's about training. That when you try to use willpower to come against something, it actually has the opposite effect. It actually increases the strength of that thing in your life. And the principle I learned that was so profound to me is this, that the way to gain victory over a vice isn't by focusing on the vice it's a, and eliminating it. It's actually by focusing and cultivating the opposite virtue. That if what I'll do is give my time to cultivating the opposite virtue, that as I learn and grow in that, that the vice will actually decrease in my life. Um, when we talked about, you remember when we talked about idolatry, when you have an idol in your life, an idol is something you love so profoundly that you actually love it more than God. And the way to get rid of an idol isn't to throw it out or get rid of it. You can't do that to a thing you love. The thing that you do is you cultivate it in your relationship with God and as you see him, as Jordan talked last week, is more beautiful and more supreme and more sufficient than this thing, then what it does is Jesus takes the top and displaces that thing and puts it in its right perspective. And that's how it works with vices is I need to work on the virtue that displaces the vice. And so you guys tell me, what would the virtue be that displaces complaining from my life? What would you say? Do what? Joy, thankfulness, gratitude. Because it's the opposite of complaining. The polar opposite. There was a, a few weeks back, there was a quote in one of the insights that was really profound. Madeline Harris in the New Testament. Here's what she said. Whether we admit it or not, unbelief and disobedience are the underlying reasons for a complaining spirit. When I complain, I am in essence saying, I really don't believe God has arranged these circumstances or that he could change them if he desired. If I did believe it, I wouldn't need to complain. I know my only safety is in the center of his will no matter what happens. The same God who told me not to complain also said, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How is it possible to give thanks and complain at the same time? And How would you answer that question? How is it possible to give thanks and complain at the same time? It's not, right? It's not. You're either doing one or the other. So whomever the person is in your life that you tend to complain about right now or the circumstance you tend to complain about, you can either villainize and demonize that, you can gripe, grumble, and complain about it, or you can take that person or that situation and you can turn it to God and give thanks to him for it, knowing 
that through it all, it's a gift and that he's working something in your life through it. That's the choice. It's one or the other, but you can't do both. So every time you're tempted to complain about something, or every time you catch yourself complaining, here's my challenge, is stop and pause for a minute. Give it to the Lord. Repent of it. Say, Father, forgive me because I want to repent of this because I'm not believing that you're good by complaining. And then asking him to help you turn that into thanksgiving. You know, Father, forgive me for this complaining spirit. Um, I know I need to trust you and your goodness and that you're doing a work in my life. I know that you're a good, good father all the time, all the time. And Lord, I want to stop bad-mouthing this thing. I want to learn to trust you that this is actually a gift in my life. So I want to stop now and I want to give you thanks for the thing that I started complaining about and then give thanks for it. And I really challenge you, not just a general, well, thank you for that. It's easy to do that, right? Well, thanks for that horrible situation. But it could be actually sitting down and thinking through what could, what am I learning from it? What are some specific things that I could get out of this or this person I'm frustrated with? What are the things that they bring into my life that are positive? And so it's, it's thinking through multiple things. If you don't have in your prayer life um, a pattern, I really highly recommend it. I was taught when I was a baby believer about Acts, so every day I'm in the Word and I pray and I follow that pattern. I will give God adoration. I will confess my sins to Him. I give Him my thanksgiving and then supplication is I'm asking. I'm asking for others. I'm asking for myself. I personally now prefer to use the pray um, model, but again, every day I, when I pray, I, I, I run through that. And so the first thing I do is I praise God. I give Him my adoration for who he is. I thank him for the things in my life. And then I repent, the R. A, I ask. I ask for others, and then I ask for myself. And then why I yield my life to him. I like the pray acronym because it adds the yield that the acts didn't have. But in both of them, you see thanksgiving is part of that prayer path. And so I really challenge you to adopt um, something like this because what it does is it makes you every day to give thanks. And I really want to challenge you, don't just give thanks for the good things. It was really good on Friday to give thanks for all the turkey and the gravy and the mashed potatoes and the pecan pie and the time at the Gimples and my family. It's easy to give thanks for the good things. But also in that, whatever is most bothering you and that you tend to complain about, purposely give thanks to him for that. So for all of us, I feel like Thanksgiving, offering our Thanksgiving should be a daily exercise. With that kind of thing, for some of us, it might be an hourly exercise, right, of just catching yourself and all of that. I want to give you a few quotes, some things people have said over the centuries about thankfulness. Cicero said, gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but it is the parent of all other virtues. Charles Spurgeon, a child of God should be a visible beatitude for joy and happiness and a living doxology for gratitude and adoration. Isn't that powerful? My life should be a living doxology for gratitude and adoration. And then Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in which circumstances? In all, in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I love this prayer by Dag, I don't know how to say his name, Hammerskold? I'm not sure. He is from probably Sweden or Norway, somewhere in Scandinavia. But I love this prayer because to me it embodies what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And his prayer was this. For all that has been, thank you. For all that is to come, yes. 
You see the gratitude that's under that and that's behind that? Not a complaining spirit, but an attitude of gratitude. I think that's great. In fact, I like it so much, I actually want you to pray it with me. Um, I'm going to add the word Lord on the front of it, and I want you to do this with me in a second. But let's not do this glibly, because um, it's just easy. Oh, we're going to pray a prayer, and we'll say the words. I mean, this has to be kind of a hard attitude. And all of us are struggling right now with something that we're unhappy with and complaining about. But can we, can we pray this right now together, just as an offering to God of a way of showing gratitude for whatever it is that we're struggling with? So would you pray this with me? Lord, for all that has been, thank you for all that will come. Yes. Amen. Someone recently I ran into this asked a very profound question. What if when you woke up tomorrow, all you had was what you thank God for now? Imagine what your life would be like tomorrow if you woke up and the only things you had were the things you gave God for. Let that soak in. So I guess my final question is, what are you most complaining about these days? <clears throat> What's the one thing, if you had to pick one thing, the person or the circumstance that you're most inwardly grumbling about? I want you to take a minute. I want you to think about that thing. I want you to acknowledge to the Lord, Father, I confess that my attitude towards this is wrong. I have a complaining spirit. I'd like you to to confess that, and then I would like you to take a moment and give him thanks for it. Even if you don't understand what he's doing through it, you trust him so you can give thanks for it. So just take a minute in silence to do that. For myself and on behalf of all of us, I just ask that you would help displace in our life the complaining spirit with the thankful spirit. All right, quick challenge. We're entering Advent season, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Either on this sheet that we have today, uh, write down, or on something, write down that one thing. Uh, if it's your spouse and they're sitting next to you, then don't do that. Or something, or if it's the person next to you. I want you to somewhere write down that one thing. If you're reading the New Testament with us, stick it in your New Testament every day when we're doing the reading. That every day that you open it up from now till Christmas, when we celebrate Christmas, that every day you will give thanks for that thing. So that's my challenge. Put it on a computer screen, you know. If it's work you're complaining about, don't do it there. Do it at home, you know. Put it somewhere on the dash of your car, but write that one thing down. And every day intentionally give thanks to God for it. All right, I would like us to conclude with a prayer. Uh, we're going to do another one. I would like you to stand with me. It's by George Herbert, and it's, I've got a lot of prayers I really like. This is one of my favorite ones. I will tell you ahead of time, 
there's some vowels in it and some really weird grammar because it's pretty old, but I still love the heart of it. And so, again, would you pray this with me? And again, this is from the heart. We're not just saying words that we're reading, but let's pray this from the heart. Thou that has given so much to me, give one thing more, a grateful heart. Wherefore I cry and cry again, and in no quiet canst thou be till I a thankful heart obtain of thee. Not thankful when it pleaseth me, as if thy blessings had spare days, but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you may be seated. And you guys can come on up. Do we have the fourth, or is one of you going to be the fourth? You guys, you've got it all figured out. All right, so today is the first Sunday of Advent. Some years it comes so fast, especially this year. Um, sometimes it starts in December. But we like to celebrate Advent here because God created us. We're tactical beings. We need to see things. We need reminders. And so the whole purpose of doing like an Advent wreath, which is something Pat and I started when we first were newly married, we attended a church in Virginia after we got married that did this. I had never even seen this before. And it was so powerful, and it was just a way to help us. We just did it every day, and it was a way for us to keep focus. And we really did find that it helped us think about what is the reason for the season. And the reason for the season is Jesus, right? It's not the tinsels. It's not the trees. It's not the gifts. It's not the reindeer. It's not Santa. It's not all the shopping. It's not all of that stuff. Not that those things are bad, but those things are secondary to the main thing, which is Jesus and the fact that he came to earth. He took on human flesh to die for my sin, to bring me into relationship with himself. And so this kind of thing helps us to kind of keep focused on what this season is about. Um, a few more things about an Advent wreath, if you don't mind me sharing. The Advent wreath, what, part of what it does is it helps me to have a spirit of anticipation that I'm looking forward to Christmas and thinking about the coming of Jesus and not my focus so much getting on the gifts and all that. Again, nothing wrong with that stuff, but it, it kind of helps me have a sense of anticipation. It also gives me a little bit of a sense of a, just a taste of the waiting the Jewish people had because they waited for Messiah, some of them for thousands of years. We just read this week in First Peter that the prophets, they longed to look into or to see the things they were told, like they're longing, when's Messiah coming? And they waited, and in that, between the New Test Testaments, 400 years of waiting in si total silence. And so it gives me this sense of during these four weeks, a little bit of like, well, Christmas is coming, I'm in anticipation, I'm waiting, I kind of understand how they felt. Advent also, this helps us with preparation. How many of you had somebody over to your house for Thanksgiving? I'm curious. Raise your hand if you had somebody to your house, okay? And of those of you who had somebody to your house, how many of you did zero cleaning before they came to your house? Anybody here did zero cleaning? Dane, I am amazed. Does that mean Sandy did it all? Huh? No, okay. Sir, you are a saint. Uh, our small group tonight is meeting at our house, and a kind of a joke with our small group is, it's probably this way with any small group, uh, when you're having it at your house, there's got to be at least an hour cleaning time, right, ahead of time to get it. Thankfully, our house is really clean from Thanksgiving, so uh, we're good. Oh, here's Sam. Okay, you made it, Sam. But the whole idea of preparation, that when somebody's coming, that you have some preparation, and this gives me, me a chance, us a chance, to like, to focus and be like, Lord Jesus, you came to die for my sin. And so how am I doing with my sin and my walk with you? And it's a chance for us to kind of be thinking about him and preparing our hearts 
uh, for him. So when Christmas comes, we're, we're really welcoming him with true and good hearts. I also think it's a time to renew my relationship with him, to think again about him and to celebrate that relationship. And then finally, just let me explain the Advent wreath. Um, it is the greenery is round because God's love for us is an everlasting love. And he promises eternal life, so that's why the circle of greenery. There's four candles. We do the four Sundays to lead up to Christmas. Three of the candles are purple, and they're the first three that we're going to do. And the reason they're purple is they represent two. They represent suffering. They represent the suffering of Christ that he did on our behalf, but they also represent my sin which caused his suffering, and that I need to be mindful in thinking of my sin during this season. This other candle that's pink, is a, is a candle of anticipation. As we get closer to Christmas Day, we'll light that one in anticipation. And then the center candle is the Christ candle. And that's the one that normally, like in our house, we do that one on Christmas Day as we work through these. We usually do this every day in our family. We will um, light every day and we'll, we'll have a reading or a prayer or something. There's some stuff back there that we use that I'll mention in a minute. But the Christ candles on Christmas Day, we'll be doing a Christmas Eve service in here and we will do the Christ candle on Christmas Eve together as a body when we do communion. Um, and that just represents that Christ, Jesus is the light of the world. He came to save us. And so it's all to celebrate. So these guys are going to help us launch into Advent. This is a call to worship. Malachi 3.1, the Lord all powerful, powerful says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. Suddenly the Lord you are looking for will come to his temple. The messenger you long to see will come and proclaim my new agreement. This is a Sunday of Annunciation. We light the first candle to announce the birth of the Savior King. Isaiah 43 through 5. This is the voice of one who calls. Prepare in the desert the way for the Lord. Make straight the road in the dry lands for our God. Every valley should be raised up, and every mountain and hill should be made flat. The rough ground should be made level and the rugged ground should be made smooth. Then the glory of the Lord will be shown, and all the people together will see it. The Lord himself said these things. Just as the prophets announced with a loud and unified voice the coming of the Messiah of a new and wonderful age, so we too announce the coming of the King, just as God sent the angel Gabriel to announce the fulfillment of all of his promise. Through Jesus, so we aren't too sent to announce that God's wondrous kingdom is here and now. We shout, let every heart prepare his, him room. And let us not forget the prophet's call for the people to prepare themselves for the coming one by living a pure and just life. Their voice was clear. He has shown you what is good, and he has told you, to live humbly, trusting your God. Micah 6, 8. Let us not hear their announcement of a coming Savior, but also let us heed their call to a, a life in a light living. This Christmas season, let us take upon ourselves the heart of Mary when she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let us happen to me as you say, Luke 1, 28. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, by whose word all things are made perfect, please assist us as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus Christ. 
As we light the candles each week, help us to remember to keep our hearts lit with your love. And as we look forward with anticipation to the birth of your dear son, awaken us to delight in praising you. Glory be to the to God the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as what is in the beginning is now, and shall be, and shall be world without end. Amen. Close with worship.
seated we're going to do one more thing but I lo- don't you love the Christmas carols and I, I just love the theology in them I think they're so rich so it's not often that we get I amen a video but can we say amen to that can we, can we do a bigger amen like amen Pat and I and uh, I think it was one of our kids when the first year this came out put us onto it so for 10 years our family has been trying to live the advent conspiracy we've been doing this at 12th for four years but the whole point of it is, is we want to worship fully, we want to spend less so we can give more and love all. And we want to make it less about all the commercialism. We still do that. We still give our kids gifts. But we do other kinds of things that are more Jesus-centered to keep our focus on him. So on the back sheet of that paper is actually the Advent Conspiracy. And there are some recommendations on here of things that you can do this Advent season to be part of this conspiracy of like, let's be different than our culture's emphasis on just buy, 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 give, give, give gifts to our family, right? And so I w- I'd really challenge you, take this home, you know, as a family, as a single, whatever, that you take this home, you look this over, and you say, there's a few things we're going to do. Um, one thing we do every year is we give um, 
we get a catalog of things, and one of the gifts, rather than the regular gifts we'd give our kids, we give them something like, we just bought, you know, a, a whole hive of bumblebee, of honeybees that we gave to a family so they can become self-sustaining, or we bought a, a goat for a family, or chicks, or something like that. That's one of the things that's on here, but I just really encourage you, let us be a place that we're living against the grain of our culture right now, where Jesus is becoming less and less and less in Christmas, and it's easy for it to become that way. Um, you know, we all know what December's like. It's crazy, right? That's why May is called Maycember now, because May is like the second December. Let's just try to live more with uh, just keeping Jesus first and doing things that just undercut that crazy busyness and all the spin, 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 and that we're just trying to live more in the way of Jesus. So take that and do something with it. Um, just want to tell you, there are Advent resources in the back. We have done, like I said, Pat and I, since we were married, did this with our kids. We, Pat and I still do it. Every night we do it. We have done Jesse Tree with our children. We did that since they were born. Pat and I still do it, even though we're these old adults now. Um, but I want to tell you, I, a few weeks ago I preached out of Ephesians uh, 6 where Paul says, nurture your children. Do you remember that? That word, nurture your children. And he said, you do it by training and by instructing. And I want to tell you, some of this Advent stuff, Jesse Tree, doing readings, doing an Advent wreath at home, is an excellent way to help train your children into the way of Jesus and to help them have the right focus. So just on the way back, that stuff's back there, so grab some. Uh, one more thing, if you got a pen, would you please return it? I didn't have time to tape plastic spoons on all of them so you wouldn't stick it in your purse or your pocket. If you could return the pins, that would be great. And would you stand because I wanna send you, I wanna send you with the words of Charles Spurgeon that we just read a minute ago. Because we do live in a culture of complaint more than ever. So much negativity, right? People need to see people who love and follow Jesus with a thankful, grateful heart and not the kind of complaining they see. And if we can live counterculturally that way, we will be an attractive community. The people will be drawn to Jesus. So here is my words I send you with from Charles Spurgeon. To be a child of God who demonstrates a visible beatitude for joy and happiness. And I send all of us, I send myself, I send you to be a living doxology for gratitude and adoration this week. Let us be thankful people. Be a living doxology of gratitude and adoration. So 12, God's grace and peace be with you and you are sent.